You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's good, everybody? Welcome to another SB Nation NFL show. This is a special edition of the SB Nation NFL show because we are just one day away from the NFL draft, and we wanted to do something a little bit different for you, kind of take you inside the draft room, give you the account of what it's like, what teams are doing, sort of how the whole process works. And obviously, you don't want to hear me talk about that. You want to hear someone who knows how it actually goes down. So we thought we'd bring on Mike Tannenbaum former general manager for the New York Jets. Also, you know him from his work with the Miami Dolphins, where he was the executive vice president of football operations. Mike, thank you very much for the time today. Great to be with you, Rob. How's everything? Everything is great. This is like Christmas for me. The draft is one of my favorite times of the year. You know, people like to pay attention to day one and day two. I'm in for all of it. Like the Super Bowl champions are crowned on the the second, the third, the fourth days of the draft when teams fill out their roster and get the kind of depth that they need to win a Super Bowl title. I, I, I There's so much about the draft that I think goes beyond the same. I'm so glad we're doing this, Rob. It has to do really with, you know, just not drafting on day one where all the lights are on, but you go into what's now considered like day three and you could get really good value and meaningful impact to your roster. Absolutely. And, and I want to start at the beginning and get into the whole planning process and then go through what it's like during the draft and after the draft in a given year, let's say, let's say this year you were working for a team and when does the work on the 2021 draft class begin? It really begins in May. The national meetings happen down here in Florida and you get your initial list and, and your scouts go to work and they plan their fall. And that's when you really start looking at players. It's, it's really, it, it really starts the following May. So let's say it's 2020 and you're thinking about making a move and somebody says, Hey, I want your first rounder in 2021. You have an idea of, Oh, well, let's say for instance, Trevor Lawrence is coming out in 2021. Do we really want to give up that? Like, does that enter your thinking or not really? Yeah, it, it does a little bit. Like you, like I can tell you right now, Rob, that 2022, there's not a lot of quarterbacks. So in the mock draft that I just did for ESPN, for example, I thought acquiring both Sam Darnold and Justin Fields made sense because I can tell you right now, and of course things can change, but at least preliminarily, Rob, it doesn't look like a strong year for the quarterback class next year. And that does impact to a certain extent you're planning this year. So you get to work in May, and when would you say your draft board is sort of finalized and locked in? You know, for the last time, it's really in April. Um, Like the first week in April, you're crossing your T's, you're dieting your eyes. There could be other information that comes in, be it medical, security, that you're going to tweak some things. But to say, as it relates to player A being better than player B, that's pretty well the haze in the barn. And you kind of heard that, you know, Joe Douglas had a recent press conference talking about their decisions and the evaluation process, part of it, 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 the hay is really in the barn. 
At that point, do you have to talk to your owner and let him know what you're thinking? Or does that is that not part of the deal? They just let you do what you're doing and, and you go about your business. You know, maybe it's just with my topsy-turvy career, like things just keep coming up, you know, and, <laughs> and you, your plan is like firmly etched in pencil. I've been involved with just some crazy things. You know, we traded up from 17 to five for Mark Sanchez. We drafted Larrabee Tunsla at Miami because of what happened on draft night. So I think those conversations happen, like, at least for me, I always define my position as, hey, I'm going to be the point guard of information. And as more information comes in, we'll kick it around and try to make, again, the best decision for us. Okay. See, you mentioned two things that I definitely wanted to get into. And since you opened that door a crack, I'm going to kick kick it open. The Mark Sanchez thing fascinated me because it's the only time I can remember where a quarterback especially comes out in the draft. And his head coach in college, who you think is going to be his biggest cheerleader, Pete Carroll sits there in front of the world and says, I don't think Mark should do this. He's not ready. He's going against the grain. And he said, if you look at the numbers, 50% of quarterbacks that come out early fail. You're planning on picking this guy. And Pete Carroll is telling you that it's a mistake, essentially. How did that affect your, your thinking with Sanchez? Not at all, you know, because it was in Pete's best interest to have Mark stay there. So, you know, yeah, take that with a grain of salt and understand, you know, what information is coming in and why. And um, obviously, um, you know, that worked out well for us, at least initially. You know, things, you know, he did play as well as his career went along, but we won a lot of playoff games with with Mark and um, appreciate, you know, Coach Carroll's sentiment. But, you know, Mark made the decision he felt was best for him and his family. And how do you sort of work your way through that? Because I know all these teams have relationships with the colleges, whether it's head coaches or different people on the college coaching staff, to try and get as much information on these guys as possible. But like you just said, the coach has a vested interest in talking his guys up because he looks better the higher they go. So how do you sort of cut through the bullshit, essentially, and figure out what you can trust and what you can't? You know, Rob, if we were having this conversation in 10 years, I'm not sure we'd have the answer for that. It's hard. It's really hard. And you talk to these head coaches that, let's face it, have massive platforms and stature. And they're telling you things that are good for them. And they want to see their players do well and completely understandable. But that's it's a, it's a hard dynamic. Make no bones about it. It's a very, very tough dynamic. With Tunsil, it was a little bit different because the Pete Carroll stuff with Sanchez happened, I think that was in January or February. So it was early. But the Tunsil stuff happened hours like right as the draft was starting hours before you were going to make your pick his his phone gets hacked and there's a video of him with a gas mask and a bong and all of a sudden he starts dropping off the board kind of take me back into that night you're preparing for the draft bam you see the tonsil news what how do you react it was one of those things where i thought he was gonna go five first tennessee at one five to baltimore he was the best player on our board. We had a good, not great left tackle in Brandon Albert. We had a gazillion other needs. Thought we were going to want it with a defensive lineman. And I thought, wow, once he gets past Baltimore, we got a shot here. He fell. We had a area scout, Matt Winston, who one day will be a general manager. Um, Eric Winston's brother had a great report from the fall. And we're talking about like the process earlier, Rob. Like that's why the process is so important because if you're doing your job well, you just never know when it's going to be called upon. And this is a great example where, you know, a nondescript visit to a, a school in the fall, you're talking to the academic advisor, you're talking to the equipment guys. And Laramie Tunsil is a great person. Obviously he made a mistake. He got caught in video and 
for us to turn into an opportunity. And once he got to 12 with the Saints, he fell to us remarkably. And Adam Gase, uh, our general manager, Chris Greer, and Steve Ross, we looked at each other and said, wow, this is just too good of an opportunity. So Stephen Ross is in the room then. Do you have to basically look over at him and say, hey, we want to take this guy despite this thing or nobody else in the league is going to touch him? Yeah, we, we saw it as an unbelievable opportunity for us. And, you know, that, that's one of those things, Rob, like you just feel like I'm like so happy, like everybody's right there. So I don't have to make a million phone calls to say, hey, here's what we're, what we're about to do. And this is a nap. Like it was weird. Like you going, it's the draft, right? And then the national story is this thing, which is, you know, crazy. I was reading an article about that last night that his agent basically called in and told you that the video was two years old. I imagine everyone's trying to call into your room during the draft. How do you sort of manage all that? There's there's GMs trying to call you. The agent apparently in this situation was calling you. Like, how did you handle all that? You know, I think because of my experience by then in my career, the day w- it, it was slowing down enough for me to know that, okay. And, and the agent, by the way, didn't say that uh, the video was two years old. The agent was great. He was very candid and honest with us and handled it very honorably. And that was candidly one of the reasons we, we, we did what we did. But I just kind of methodically kept checking the boxes. I knew what we had to do and had the security department there, the GM there, head coach there, owner there. And just I felt really good. And it really, for me, more than anything, Rob, it was, you know, two things. Like one, like, hey, there's some optics here that we have to work through. But then the other thing was like, what kind of person are we getting here? And when you hear what kind of person, like, I feel great. Like, Laramie's a really good person, good teammate, loves football, great relationship with his mom. Like he checked all the boxes. You you mentioned you called in Winston. Do you have like all the area scouts in the room with you? Are they somewhere like on your hip? How does that work? Yeah, usually they the way we were doing it there, some of them were in the room, some were in just like for the third day, but you know, they're they're certainly within earshot. As the draft goes on. I imagine you rely on those guys more and more because, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you watch tape on a zillion guys, but, you know, you get to the fifth, sixth round, it's a little different. You know, you might not have had a chance to watch as many of those guys as you did in the earlier rounds. So you do you lean on those other tentacles of the staff more as the draft goes along? Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, as the draft gets on, it, you always say it's more of a scout run draft. There's no question about it. One of the things I heard this year because of COVID and all the protocols and things like that, no combine, is that it's very difficult for teams to get a sense of how other teams value guys in the draft, more so than any other year. How did you do that when you were running drafts? How did you get a sense of what other teams were thinking in a season where pretty much everybody lies all the time? Yeah, you have to know your sources. And again, like you asked earlier about like college head coach, it's more the same like you really got to be careful of like who you're leaning on. And there's some agents that are, you know, very admirable and, and honest and transparent. Not every one of your players is going to go to the hall of fame, even though, you know, you talk to some agents and, you know, they do, you know, not all injuries are the same. Not all concussions are the same. And I think synthesizing that information is critical. And I saw early in my career, Rob, like, you know, some very prominent head coaches, like try to talk us into things. And I'll never forget one. We were going to take the player. He gets picked before us, and he was terrible. And we were like, oh, my God. Like, we're so lucky somebody else, you know, made that mistake. And that goes back to, uh, I think, Kevin Colbert of the Steelers. Yeah, I've heard him joke around say, like, you know, the draft day uh, prayer of a GM. May someone draft my mistakes before I do. <laughs> Is there one guy that, that got away for you that sticks out in your head? Yeah, the one I'll take to my grave, and thank God he didn't turn out to be a great player, was Chris Gokong. 
I traded back with Philadelphia in a, in a year, and they wound up taking him. That just really stung me and stayed with me for a long time. Fortunately, I mean, you know, he, he turned out to have, be okay, not great, and uh, obviously the rest is history. But, you know, those are mistakes you only make, like, once in your career. <laughs> it's so funny. I I didn't think that Chris Gokong was where you were going to go with that. Like, that's surprising to me that that sticks out in your mind. Do you have one, like, uh, a player that did turn out great that you really wanted that somebody just stole right before you? Gosh. I mean, there's so you know, like, I'll tell you, like, another interesting one was, like, Nick Mangle. Like, we, we had three guys we would have been happy with. It was D'Angelo Williams. Uh, Mercedes Lewis and Nick Mangold, we were like, hey, three picks to go. We'd be happy with any of the three. And they went in exactly that order, Rob. It was like the most remarkable thing. Yeah, and you ended up with DeBrickishaw and Mangold in that draft. Those are That was both in the first round, if I recall, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Number four, number 29 overall. And then the year after that, you followed it up with Revis. That is a hell of a run in first-round draft picks. Yeah, I appreciate it. We, we got a few of those right and missed on a couple as well, as most do. But um, – we had a really good process. It was very thorough, and I don't think we were really surprised by much. So, okay, your draft board is set. Everything is good. You've, you've talked to everyone you need to talk to. You know what you're doing. Night before the draft, do you get any sleep whatsoever? I can't say that I got much. You know, I just – it's game day, right? And so much is relying on what's about to happen, and I, I did not get a lot of sleep. Um, what would be like a typical draft day for you? So the morning of the draft, you wake up at what time? Pretty early. I'm an early morning guy. I'd wake up, you know, six, probably the latest, go into the office, big workout, love to work out, and a uh, big part of, you know, trying to get the stress out. And then, you know, you make some calls, but then you sit around like it, it's, you know, especially when it's at night, Rob, like it's a long day. You're making calls, you're taking calls, you try to figure out what's real, what's not. You know, you're waiting for, uh, you know, go time, and then, uh, you know, it finally gets there. Are you watching ESPN? 100%. And everybody is, and no one will admit to it. <laughs> okay, what are you watching ESPN for? So when Sal Palantonio is reporting from Team X's facility, and he has like one half of one nugget, it's worth it. And again, you're just sitting there waiting. So everybody has it on. No one says they do, but they all do. <laughs> Why won't they admit it then? I don't know. Isn't that silly? Isn't it silly, Rob? Like, they absolutely should, right? I don't get it. We're, I mean, everyone's watching ESPN at that point. Um, okay, so you're on the clock, and you know who you want to pick. The guy you want is there. The stars have aligned. Do you wait all the time just in case someone calls you and blows your doors off, or do you say, put that name on the card and send that thing in? Both, actually. Really, what you, you do is, like, if, if it's, like, we're doing it, like, by the book, is we're putting down, you know, you put down Rob Guerrero's name, you know, <clears throat> outside linebacker, read it back to me. Okay, hold it. And then, you know, you, you, you make the call a prospect, make sure that he wasn't hit by the proverbial bus. Um, that's really the next thing you do. And then, you know, you, you, then you go from there, obviously. Read then, it back to me. That's that's a thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Read it back to me. Rob Guerrero. Say it again. Okay. Wow. Hold on a second here. Just think about of all the things that could go wrong, Rob. <laughs> like, that's a thing. That is a thing. Man. And so then how does that actually work? So then you write the name on the card. Does somebody then call the league and say this is the pick? What's the actual process there? Yeah, so we have a dedicated line to the draft room. I'll tell you, like, maybe the most interesting story of, like, what you're getting to. This is probably, like, a non-obvious thing that um, – well, let me take you behind the curtain. There's a very fundamental reason why players are not drafted on the clock. 
And we actually did it ironically in the Sanchez trade. So basically, if you think about it this way, if we trade Rob from the Jets to the Browns for a third round pick, right? Because there's a player we want to draft and the compensation we come up with is a third round pick. We can do that. But here's the big conundrum, if you will. What happens if Rob goes to um, Cleveland and fails his physical? So that's why hardly, you hardly ever see that. So here's what um, we had to do. So in Sanchez's case, we were about 85% down on the trade. We moved around a pick or two, not really consequential, but there was 10 minutes to go on the clock, Rob, and we had there was three players we were trading as part of this deal. And each player had to have an attached draft choice with them for conditional purposes. So wow. if Kenyon Coleman went to Cleveland and failed their physical, Cleveland would get X. If this player failed, they get Y. And I knew that they'd all passed their physical. So I was not worried about that. While you have this dedicated line to say like, hey, the Miami Dolphins or the New York Jets, we select player X. And then they read it back to you. And then, then it becomes official. Just when you make a trade, the way that works is if we're on the clock, right? And we're going to trade with you. You're not on the clock until there's two matching phone calls. So ordinarily it's easy. Hey, this team's going to get this pick. This team's going to get these three picks. Yes. Yes. Boom. We're good. Well, in the Sanchez trade, you, the matching phone calls had to include those three players. And for each one of those players, it was a conditional pick attached to them. So, hey, and it went back and forth like three different times. Like Kenyon Coleman, was that a two in what year? No, it's a three. And it was like, so we were not on the clock until there was 30 seconds to go. Because not only did we have to wrap up our negotiations, then each team had to call the league. We had to give them everything that was in the trade. And then within that, we had to give what each player would have gotten. And it got a little sticky because it got like a little confusing between which player and which conditional pick, which, again, I didn't care about. But we we had to get it done to execute it. So with 30 seconds to go, we were on the clock. And and if you don't get it in in time, you get leapfrogged and that's it. You may lose the player. Yeah, well, there's it's interesting you bring that up. There There could have been a small time where they said, okay, the Jets, you're on the clock. And if our time ran out, they don't reset the clock. If our time had run out, what would have happened is we would have given up all that compensation and not made the pick. What? Yeah. So it was like with 30 seconds to go, it was like, how are we? I barely had enough time to call Mark and his family. Um, But literally it was like a 20 second conversation. And I'm like, turn in the card. And it was over. So, the, and there's nothing you could do at that point. They would have said you missed it, and you still have to give up all that stuff. Yeah, there's no, there's no timeouts. So, and the system doesn't really contemplate, Rob. It's so rare that it happens that way. Like you just don't see players, you know, getting traded. And that's really the reason is this whole idea of what happens if and when a player fails a physical and that the conditions that are attached to it. Do you have a giant clock in the draft room that is counting down when every team is on the clock or what yeah, is that yeah. like? Yeah, no, we have, yeah, we're, there's the clock that's you, you, you have like one central clock that's, you could, that's, you could see. 
So, okay, I didn't realize that. So not only do you have to figure out the negotiations for the trade, but you have to allow yourself enough of a pad there so that both sides can call the league. Otherwise, you could potentially be really up this creek. Yep, that's right. How many practice scenarios do you do before the draft? Are you, like, mocking this every day, or is it just, like, a couple of times? Yeah, I think it becomes really more like conversations than mocks. Like, hey, we're really interested in Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase. Well, there's no way that Atlanta's going to take a quarterback. If Atlanta takes a quarterback, could Pitts be there at eight or not? You know, like it's it's more of like those sort of conversations. And that's obviously too. You have your board there, so you just can fall back on the board if something totally crazy happens and you don't that you didn't expect. You look at the board and say he's available. We just take this person. Right. That's right. All right. My next question is about. I mentioned the season of lying. I don't trust anything anybody says from basically February to the draft. How much manipulation of the media do teams do? I think there's a fair amount of that where they'll just put out information. I think that's just part of it. You know, no one's going to want to reveal that, reveal their draft board. Obviously, that's you know, I, I always struggle with that. I try to return calls, try to be professionally courteous, but you know, couldn't tell them much. I heard a story. Actually, I heard a story. Peter King wrote about it in Football Morning in America about Dak Prescott and Wade Wilson. And basically, Wade Wilson loved Dak Prescott. And when it came time for the Cowboys interview, Dak crushed it. He was all over the plays. They were going to ask him about some trouble that he got into in college. And he was unflappable. He killed it. Well, it turns out the reason he killed it is because Wade Wilson called him and said, here's everything the Cowboys are going to ask you about. Be ready for it. I just can't believe that story is real. Doesn't that doesn't that wreck your entire draft process and evaluation process? So that actually happened to me once as well. So um, one of the questions I always ask somebody uh, in the pre-draft process is, "What's the first thing you're going to do with your side bonus check?" The best answer we ever got, Rex and I were working together, was uh, a prospect said to us, "I'm going to buy my grandmother grocery groceries because growing up she raised us and there was never food in the cupboard." And I was like, that's the best answer I've ever heard. There's no way this player won't be successful. Like, you know, it's hard not to really be taken back by, you know, an answer like that on candidly a lot of levels. But when someone says that to you earnestly and sincerely, it was very moving for both of us. And that really like resonated with us. So it, uh, like a lot of things about Rex, it comes across, it leads to a very funny story. So there was a corner coming out one year. And most of the time we interview players together, sometimes separate. So it was a corner that he loved. I'm sitting down one-on-one with this corner. I go through like my battery questions, like tell me something that you worked hard at, but were unable to accomplish. What's one thing about yourself you would change? Who do you call when you have a bad day? I have all these questions. And one of the questions I say, so what's, what are you going to buy with your, your first sign bonus check? And this poor player looks, looks me right in and goes, I'm going to buy my grandmother's groceries because growing up, we didn't have enough food in our cupboard. <laughs> and, and I'm like, that is such bullshit. Tell Rex F you that is planted. <laughs> and with that, this poor corner, he just starts laughing. He's like, coach told me to say that. <laughs> Did you take him? No. no. <laughs> was that why? No, no, it wasn't. But it was so typical of Rex to plant answers that he knew like we're going to be helpful. But so like that, I can't like that happens. How do you, I just, that blows my mind. It's like, you're supposed to be all pulling in the same direction. And yet, you know, you got guys trying to stack the deck. 
you know, I, I'll tell you another one. Some teams will say, hey, I, I knew a really good evaluator who loved a receiver. They had a rule in their building that they were not going to take receivers that were four or five or faster. And he thought it was the most ridiculous thing because it's about play speed, not time speed. And he went to the pro day and he was like, look, this guy's going to run four or five. Now, it may be at 39 yards, but I'm walking into my building with this guy <laughs> running four or five. <laughs> it's amazing that teams miss on draft picks sometimes. Right, 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 right. After the draft is over, there's like a land rush for the undrafted free agents. Is that just like no holds barred? Or what is your plan there for that scenario? Yeah, yeah I, I, it's not fun. It's, it's just crazy and it's all over the place. And it's, it's, it's really, really messy. And it's not something that I enjoyed, but it's just part of the process that you have to deal with. And you're just scrambling, calling as many guys as you can, and whoever you get, you get. Yes, that's exactly right. Your biggest draft argument? It was uh, BJ asked you in the third round um, that we took when I was the assistant GM, and I felt like it was a really bad decision. And uh, the the funny part about that story was, um, and my wife actually tells it better than I do, I'm pissed. I thought we made a terrible decision. I'm the assistant GM. So I go home and I leave the building just really pissed off. And I go home. And so that was like the end of the third round. And I pour like a glass of red wine, like to the top, like one eighth of an inch. My wife's upstairs in the bedroom. We have like these brand new, like white carpets. And, and um, I'm walking back and forth with this glass of red wine. And I am like steam is coming out of my ears. I can't, we are the dumbest organization in the history of pro football. They should revoke our charter. We should be back in the AFL. We are morons, idiots, irresponsible, egregious. Like I am going on and on and on. And the way Michelle tells the story is like, she's like literally like watching a tennis match, making sure that I don't spill this glass of red wine on a brand new white carpet. And it's kind of been like a story that's like lived in years in our family. And uh, I didn't spill the red carpet. BJ Askew turned out to be an okay player. But but that was one that, for whatever reason, like just – and it's funny. Like you get into the third round, like you don't think it should be, you know, that consequential. And, you know, there, there we are. A fullback in the third round is bold. Yeah. Yeah. That was my argument. Still, still to this day. Um, so, okay, the draft is done. Like you're done with the undrafted free agents. Is there like a draft after party or are you just wiped out? You go home. Yeah. No, we go out, have, have uh, you know, usually go to a restaurant, you know, have some beers, wings for the staff. And candidly, I would tell you some of the most fulfilling moments is the pre-draft dinner with everybody. And then that moment at a bar afterwards. And, you know, the thing that, and I know that this sounds like a very generic soundbite for a press conference, but it's very sincere, which is, that card, Rob, really represents, as we started this interview, going back to May, and everyone's on that card. So security's on that card, media, uh, medical's on that card, pro personnel, co- coaching, you know, the people that help make the flights. Like, it's a comprehensive effort, and it's one player, but it represents a year's worth of 11 months of an organization doing, like, incredible work, and, and that's a very fulfilling moment. I can only imagine. Well, I I appreciate you taking the time. I'm fascinated by the whole process. You've already taught me more about it than I knew a half hour ago. So thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, Rob, I appreciate the questions because like for as much coverage as happens in the draft, I don't think people realize some of the uh, 
idiosyncrasies we got to today and some of the nuances. And um, look, it's just what it's an opportunity to improve your team. But, you know, at least in my career, weird and unexpected things can happen. Do you miss it? You know, I there's like, you know, the parts I miss are like what we had talked about, like, you know, that one's the, the pre-draft dinner, the beers afterwards, like th- that you can't replace. Like there's nothing like, hey, you know what? We just worked our tails off. We worked hard. We did it the right way, and hopefully we crushed it. And according to every team, after every draft, you got all the guys you wanted. Yeah, exactly. And they're all going to be all-stars. Right. So home run. Yeah, you should celebrate. Well, thanks again, Mike. We really appreciate it. All right, Rob. Thank you for having me.